Thanks for listening to this sermon from River of Life Alliance Church. We hope the Holy Spirit uses it to point you toward Jesus. If you call River of Life home, we'd encourage you to join a journey group where you can unpack our sermons with a group of people who want to get to know you, who will care for you, read the Bible with you, pray over you, and serve alongside you. Thank you, worship team. Good morning, church. Are you awake? Wonderful, wonderful. Well, pray for your preacher today. Matt has prayed that uh, the Holy Spirit would be our teacher, and that's certainly the desire of my heart. Uh, As we get started this morning, uh, last week, uh, if you happen not to be here, we uh, handed out at the end of the service some congregational survey forms and a pastoral profile form. Uh, You can find those forms on the church website. If you're a member of the church, uh, we ask you uh, to prayerfully take one of those and fill them out. There will be some at the information counter uh, after the service today if you didn't get one. And uh, we would like those turned in by Sunday, September the 11th. So you still have a couple weeks, and uh, we encourage you to do that. If you're not a member but you're a regular attender and you really want to give input, uh, just go ahead and fill one out. Uh, If you're a member, put member at the top. If uh, you're an adherent or an attender, uh, whatever, you can put whatever you'd like at the top there, and uh, we'll be good. Uh, We'll put it all together, and together uh, it will direct uh, uh, the church government's authority as they do the work here in the transition time. If you have your Bibles this morning, I would encourage you to get them ready and uh, look with me. We have... uh, a lot of scripture to look at this morning. Uh, But where we want to start out is in Genesis chapter 50, the very last book of the book of Genesis. As we continue on with the heroes of faith, we come to Joseph this morning. You can literally spend two or three months on the life of Joseph and the scripture that we have there, and we're going to try and cram that all into uh, uh, one message here this morning. If you'll recall, God uh, uh, starts by calling an individual, and from that individual, he calls a nation. And out of that nation, he sends a Messiah, he sends a Savior, which is the person of Jesus Christ. And so he starts by calling Abraham. Abraham gives birth to Isaac. Isaac gives birth to Jacob, who uh, uh, actually was Isaac's wife. Uh, Anyway, uh, he fathers uh, two sons, uh, uh, Jacob and Esau. Uh, Jacob uh, is the chosen one here, and his name is changed to Israel. Uh, We find that it's really through Jacob that uh, uh, we have the 12 tribes of Israel, uh, his uh, sons, and then two of Joseph's sons. And, of course, Joseph was his second to youngest son. Benjamin being the youngest. So we have Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. And we're going to do a little bit like a movie this morning. We're going to pick up uh, Joseph at the very end, and then we're going to switch back to the beginning, you know, uh, kind of where it says uh, 15... Boy, Peggy, you need to change my diet. Uh, no, 
I don't know what that was. Do you know what that was? Anyone know what that was? Was that you guys back in the sound deal? Yeah, I was. Okay, very good. Okay. Uh, uh, put the Uno cards away. Uh, <laughs> but uh, thank you, Lord, uh, whatever you were trying to tell us here. But, but we're going to then flip back like 15 years earlier, 20 years earlier, and bring it up to speed. So we're going to start at the end. And at the end, in Genesis chapter 50, looking at verse 15 and following, it says this, When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, What if Joseph bears a grudge against us and pays us back in full for the wrong we did to him? So they sent a message to Joseph, saying, Your father charged before he died, saying, Thus you shall say to Joseph, Please forgive, I beg you, the transgressions of your brothers and their sins, for they, they did you wrong. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of God, of your father. And Joseph wept uh, when they spoke to him. Then his brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for I am in God's place. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. So therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. So he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. We're going to see all that Joseph has been through at the hands of his brothers. And then we're seeing that at the very end of all of this, that he stands before them and he forgives them with open hands. And he speaks the truth. He says, although you meant it for evil, God meant it for good. And I do not hold any of it against you. In fact, I will care for you. I will care for your families. I will care for your little ones. I totally forgive you. God has been in all of this. And I believe there's a lesson for us to learn there today. I believe that God desires that each one of us as Christians have a forgiving heart. And this morning, I, I, I want to look at, at what forgiveness looks like. I, I, I want to look at how that should play out in our hearts and our lives. If we go to Genesis chapter 37, and we look at verses uh, 18 and following, uh, we see that Joseph... Uh, uh, seemed to have God's hand upon him from a very early age. Uh, he happened to be his father's favorite. Some of you will remember that uh, his father had a coat of many colors uh, uh, made for him. And, and like there oftentimes is amongst siblings, uh, uh, there was quite a bit of jealousy. And, uh, and the brothers really didn't care for Joseph much. But part of that was not only because he was his father's favorite, but it was because God's hand was upon him, and he was different. He was peculiar. He was a peculiar person. And, and they could see that, and they couldn't quite understand that. And many times in our own lives, instead of understanding a person, we will, we will write the people we don't understand off instead of getting to know them and, and what it is that makes them tick. And so it was with Joseph's brothers. In Genesis uh, 37, verse 18, it says, When they saw Joseph from a distance and before he came close to them, they plotted against him to put him to death. Hmm. And then they said to one another, Here comes the dreamer. 
Now then, come, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits, and we will say, a wild beast devoured him, and then let us see uh, what will become of his dreams. But Reuben heard this and rescued him out of their hands and said, let's not take his life. Reuben further said to them, shed no blood, throw him into the pit uh, that is in the wilderness, but do not lay hands on him. Uh, And his thought was that he would rescue him later. But in his absence, uh, the brothers saw a caravan going by, a caravan of uh, Midianites, and and they got the great idea, uh, not only can we get rid of Joseph, but we make some money in the process. We will sell him as a slave to this caravan. And we find that the caravan then takes him to uh, uh, Egypt. I think of our own lives. Uh... Do you feel that you've ever been wronged in life? Do you feel that you've possibly been cheated out of something other than the winning number of the lottery? Okay. Uh, maybe it was a promotion at work that, uh, <laughs> that uh, you were cheated out of or, or an inheritance or something of this nature. Well, this was Joseph. He was, he was sold into slavery. We used to have a pastor in our district, and he pastored the largest church in our district. Uh, in our particular district is a church. We're part of Colorado, Nebraska, Kansas, Iowa, and Missouri. And in Omaha, Nebraska, there's a church by the name of uh, Christ Community Church. Its old name used to be the Omaha Gospel Tabernacle. And uh, they had a, a pastor that looked a lot like Mr. Magoo. Anyone in here know who Mr. Magoo is? Okay. Uh, if you don't, he was kind of blind, wore glasses, and he was a cartoon of the 50s and the 60s. And they had a, a pastor that looked just like him. His name was Al Runji. He was uh, Jewish. He was uh, almost blind. Uh, he had sold newspapers in the subway system of New York City. And uh, God got a hold of his heart, and he became wondrously saved. And Al Runji was one of the most unorganized guys that you've ever met in your whole life. But somehow, uh, when he would begin to open the Word of God, uh, the Spirit of God would come upon him and upon the Word. And, uh, and things happened, and you couldn't explain why they happened except that God did them. And so Al Runji came to Omaha, Nebraska, the Omaha Gospel Tabernacle, and began to preach, and it began to grow larger than it had ever grown. It got up to around 800 people, and and they looked out to West Omaha where all the growth was, and they prayed, and they bought property, and they they built the first sanctuary building, the only building that they have ever taken a loan for. And when it got completed, it was pretty nice, and they were in a very nice part of town, and they wanted to be able to relate to their community, and Al Runji was getting older, and he looked like Mr. Magoo, and you couldn't quite explain uh, Al Runji, and so the board decided that they needed a, a more up-and-coming pastor, and, uh, and uh, it was all good stuff, uh, uh, and uh, they told Al Runji that uh, his services would not be needed any longer, and they hired uh, uh, Bob Thune. Uh, some of you might know Bob Thune, or some of you might know his brother. His brother is John Thune, uh, the senator from South Dakota. And Bob looks a lot like John. And uh, I'll never forget Al Runji. He was invited back to preach, and, and he met Bob Thune for the first time. And, 
He says, oh, now I understand it. He says, it's pretty hard to compete with Superman. And, and what he meant was Bob looked a lot like Clark Kent. And, and, and he did. And God and, and Bob was a godly man, and, and, uh, and God blessed, and uh, uh, the church grew to uh, uh, a couple, 3,000, and, uh, and God blessed that ministry. But Al-Ranji was in a situation where he could, have, uh, he could have been very unforgiving. He could have allowed bitterness and rancor to, to fill his life. Uh, instead, he went to Canada. And he was battling with forgiveness. Uh, he went to uh, Edmonton. And uh, he had gotten there, and, uh, and uh, he was driving out to an uh, elder's house for dinner one night and with his wife, and he was just battling inside. He said, Lord, I'm, I'm getting older, and this is a smaller church. It also grew to be a very large church. But it was at the beginning, and he said, this is a smaller church, and I don't have anything for retirement. Uh, he, he, he said, and it was under his breath, he said, Lord, uh, he said, silver and gold have I none. And uh, they got to the fellow's house for dinner, and his wife, and it's a beautiful house. He was an executive in the uh, oil fields, and... and uh, after dinner, uh, the man of the house invited Al into his office. He said, Al, he says, I'd kind of like to help you a little bit. He says, tell me about your portfolio for retirement. And Al says, uh, well, I don't have one. And he says, well, he says, uh, what are your investments like in gold? Al says, I don't have any other than my wedding ring. <laughs> Well, the man said, we need to fix that. And he turned back behind him, and he opened a safe in the bookcase, and he laid out several of these Swiss, uh, Swiss uh, gold bars. And he says, now you have a little gold in your portfolio. He said, uh, how are you doing on silver? <laughs> I'll say, I really don't have any. My wife does. It was handed down from her mother, uh, silverware. <laughs> And, uh, and the guy says, oh, you should have some silver. And he turned around and he laid out a few ingots of silver on the, uh, on the table. He says, Al, I want you to take those. Take them with you. Al cried and blubbered all the way home. Because on the way to dinner, he was having kind of a tough day and a little bit depressed and struggling with forgiveness and he told the Lord, he says, Lord, look at me, silver and gold have I none. It was kind of like the Lord slapped him upside the face. <laughs> said, you want gold? You want silver? <laughs> I'll give you gold. I'll give you silver. But you know, the Lord in our lives is worth much, much more than gold and silver. Jesus is always more than enough. And one of the things he asks us to do is to forgive our brothers and our sisters and to forgive those that we don't even know that have sinned against us. Well, it wasn't just the fact that Joseph's brothers wanted to kill him, uh, but we see that he goes to Egypt, and in Egypt as a slave, he is put in Potiphar's household, and, and uh, he does uh, so well that 
Potiphar entrusts him with everything in his household. And if you look at Genesis 39, beginning at verse 7, it says, It came about after these events that that his master's wife, that is Potiphar's wife, looked with desire at Joseph and said to him, Lie with me. And you'll see that Joseph said no. And you'll see that this went on and on until one day, according to the scripture, Joseph was in the house and and no one was around. And uh, uh, she kind of tackled him and and he ran. And uh, uh, I guess it was in the day of tearaway tunics because, uh, you know, they used to have tearaway jerseys. Uh, She was left holding his, his tunic and he was gone, which is a good thing for Joseph. And yet uh, she was scorned and she was uh, upset. And uh, uh, as, a, as a result, uh, she held up his tunic and, and she claimed that uh, he attempted to rape her. Well, Potiphar comes home and he hears this. And if that had truly been the case and Potiphar really believed it, Joseph would have been instantly killed. But to save face, uh, Potiphar sent him to prison. So now he's been sold into slavery. Uh, he has done well in slavery, but, but that goes against him, and he finds himself uh, in jail. Uh, one of the lessons to be learned from this is that uh, when there uh, comes into our midst temptation that is of the lust of the eye and the lust of the flesh, as Ephesians uh, 6, 10 through 12 talks about, Uh, what we need to do there is flee, flee. When it raises up, run from it, run from it. Now, there are times that the enemy comes straight to us, and when that happens, we are to take a stand. But there are other times when certain temptations come our way, we are to run from it, or we are to turn the computer off, or turn the TV off, or we are to flee from it as Joseph did. And yet, Joseph finds himself in prison. In Genesis 39, uh, 19 through 22, you'll see that uh, in prison, uh, Joseph uh, uh, makes friends with a baker and a cupbearer, and and, uh, you'll find that uh, the cupbearer is to remember him when he comes back into his promises, uh, into his position. And he forgets Joseph, and Joseph is left to languish in prison. And we see this in Genesis 40, verse 23, where it simply says, Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Uh, Joseph had a tough life, a tough life. And then finally, Joseph is released from prison because Pharaoh has a dream, and the cupbearer remembers that Joseph accurately interpreted dreams, and uh, Joseph is brought between, uh, before Pharaoh. Pharaoh uh, uh, gets the interpretation of the dream, and the end result is that Joseph is made second in all the land next to Pharaoh, and God puts him in a very powerful position. And we remember that, but we forget all the years of all the injustice that, that came uh, Uh, Joseph's way that could have made him a very hardened and calloused individual uh, could have filled him with bitterness. Well, what does forgiveness look like? I want to show you a clip from a secular movie. The the movie is a true story. The movie is entitled uh, Invictus. 
It's about the story of Nelson Mandela. There was a song written for the movie, in fact, a couple songs, and one of the songs is entitled 9,000 Days. That's about 27 years because Nelson Mandela spent 27 years, 9,000 days in prison at the hands of white oppressors, South Africans, and uh, he could have come out of prison very, very bitter. But watch the clip of the film with me right now. Only God knows if Nelson Mandela was a Christian or not. But he learned a spiritual truth. And that spiritual truth is one of forgiveness. And how forgiveness will give you freedom and help liberate the soul. He understood that. And he is held up as a great man in history as a result. 9,000 days he spent in hard labor on Robben Island. It's a modern-day story of Joseph. And yet when he became president, he forgave and he brought a nation together. What does forgiveness look like according to Scripture? Well, I want to give you a few verses, and, and they're in your bulletin so that you can keep them and go back to them. But in Psalm 103, verse 12, we read these words where it says, As far as the east is from the west, so far has he, the Lord, removed our transgression from us. I, it dawned on me one day as I read this that God didn't say that he removed our sin as far as the north is from the south. I have uh, lived near the North Pole, and there is a North Pole, and there is a South Pole down in Antarctica, and that distance can be measured. But I ask you, is there a West Pole? No. Is there an East Pole? No. Where does the West begin, and where does the East begin? We really can't define that. Our district, which we now call the Mid-America District because it's Colorado, Kansas, Iowa, Nebraska, and Missouri, was first named by people who had their office in downtown New York. And you know what they named our district? The Western District. But there's still quite a bit west of us as you move into Utah and Nevada and California and then even Hawaii, that's 2,500 miles further west from San Francisco. And so what does God say? God says he removes our sins as far as the east is from the west, and you can't measure the east from the west. God seemed to know that he put the north and south pole in place. Isn't that wonderful? And so he says, I have removed your sin as far as the east is from the west. In Isaiah 38, we read these words about uh, uh, forgiveness, and it's Isaiah 38, verse 17. And if I can get my Bible to turn correctly here, we'll read those. Isaiah 38, verse 17, it says, Lo, for my own welfare I had great bitterness. It is you who has kept my soul from the pit of nothingness, for you have cast all my sin behind your back. Now, without the aid of mirrors, what is the one part of your body that you can't see? What is it? Your back. 
unless you beef up like me and then you can't see your toes. But, but, but I can lean forward and see my toes. I can't lean back and see my back. And just so we get it, God says, I take your sin and I put them in a place where they can't be seen. I put them behind my back. In fact, I'm kind of glad I can't see my back. I, uh, I had a major melanoma taken off my back, and I've had about two dozen basal cells. And in fact, they took off five more on Monday of this week. And, and I, guess, uh, I guess my back kind of looks like a quilt with all the stitch scars. In fact, when I went in for my first colonoscopy at about age 52, uh, as I got on the table and they got ready to go, they said, oh, my, what, what has happened to your back? I said, oh, I belong to a religious cult, and we believe in self-flagellation. <laughs> and uh, you know what? They didn't put me all out. They wanted, they wanted to know more. <laughs> I got to share the gospel. And when we were done, they said, you know, this is the most interesting colonoscopy we've ever given. But... But see, it's all back there, so I don't see it. In Micah 7, it has this to say about forgiveness and what God does with our sin. In uh, Micah chapter 7, verse 19, and it says this, He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. Yes, you will cast all their sin into the depths of the sea. When I lived in Hawaii, God gave us a family in our church uh, with two college-age sons, and they happened to own a 45-foot Sterrett sailboat, uh, a sloop, uh, a blue water cruiser. It uh, was a beautiful boat. In those days, probably half a million dollars. And as a young pastor, uh, we were making about $450 a month, and I would get invited down to the Waikiki Yacht Club, and and we would go sailing on that boat. And I always marveled at that. You know, as a child of the king, <laughs> you don't have to be a millionaire and have all those tax problems. You can just live like one. And, uh, and I remember sailing to Lanai on several occasions. And on one trip uh, in the Molokai Channel, some uh, 27 miles across and about a mile deep, uh, we dropped a pair of binoculars. <laughs> They were lost, <laughs> lost forever, I think, uh, because no one's going to dive that far. And I often think of the Lord casting my sins between Oahu and Molokai into that channel, never to be found again. And then one last verse this morning in Isaiah chapter 43, uh, verse 25. And in Isaiah 43:25 it says, "I even I am the Lord who wipes out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sin anymore." Well, our sin is totally blanked out. It's totally washed away. He will not remember it anymore. It is forgotten. And hence, when we forgive, I think that's probably part of the hardest part is forgetting what somebody did to us and letting go of it. And I think it starts with acting as though we have forgotten 
Oh, the enemy might bring it up to us, but, but we can choose to forget and we can choose to, to not allow that to, to affect us. And we can make a conscious decision never to bring it up again. You know? I'll never forget, in our first church, it was a very multicultural church. And uh, it's really where I really gained weight because we had so many ethnic foods from so many different regions, especially of the Pacific. And in fact, our potlucks, they would call them stomach progress. (laughs) And I remember I was at a gathering that was mainly uh, uh, Filipino one night, and I'm eating all the tasty different dishes and and I'm eating something that looks kind of like chocolate pudding, and, and someone comes up and says, you probably really shouldn't be eating that. And there was another Howley guy, Caucasian guy, next to me. He says, oh, no. He says, that's not the stuff that they feed to dogs and then make them throw it back up, is it? And I thought, <clears throat> they said, no, that's, uh, that's like blood pudding. It's, it's the blood. Oh, I felt so much better. Uh, <laughs> And it was really kind of tasty. But, uh, but you know, when, when we've forgiven somebody something and, and we aren't supposed to remember it anymore and we, we bring it back up, I, I kind of think of whatever that thing is that they feed to the dogs and make them throw it back up. It doesn't sound very appetizing, does it? You know, when we've extended forgiveness and then we bring it back up, It's not very appetizing. It's hurtful. It's damaging. And it's not the model that we have in our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, forgiveness on our part. I want to take you back to the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6. And remember what uh, one of the aspects is that we are to, uh, to pray in the Lord's Prayer. For in Matthew 6, 12, in that prayer, we read these words. And forgive us our debts, or forgive us our transgressions, or forgive us our sin, as we also have forgiven our debtors, or those who sin against us, or transgress against us. Boy, that's a weighty prayer if we really think of the words that we're praying. Lord, forgive us vertically in the same way we forgive those horizontally around us. And so it becomes imperative that, uh, that we forgive. You'll remember the teaching in Matthew chapter 18 where the Jewish tradition was that uh, you forgive a person three times and then, whoa, you cut their head off or you cut them out of your life. Three times and then you're good to go to really get even, okay? And Peter, as he often thought before he crashed and burned on the night before Jesus' crucifixion, uh, he thought that he would go to the head of the class when he said, Lord, uh, uh, I'll forgive seven times. And Jesus shook his head and he smiled at Peter and he says, "You, you still don't get it, brother. You forgive 70 times seven. Knowing Peter at this time, uh, he would have multiplied that out to 490 and said, okay, on the 491st time, oh, I can get even. After meeting Jesus after the resurrection at the Sea of Galilee, I don't think Peter felt that way anymore. 
What the Lord was saying is that we ought always to forgive. There is never a reason not to forgive, no matter how hard it is. Now, part of forgiveness is getting what has happened to us out here where we can deal with it. In the Beatitudes, the second Beatitude in Matthew 5, 4 says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. In the Greek, that word for mourn is the very same word for regurgitate. Do you notice a subtle theme in this message this morning? For those of you who don't know what regurgitate is, that's puke or throw up. Okay? Now, if, if you ever, how many of you have ever been sick to the, to the point of regurgitating? Let me see your hands. Okay? <clears throat> the toilet bowl becomes your friend. It's cool. It's nice. <laughs> you pull a handle and you can flush it away. You hate it. You're sick. You're sick. You know it's coming. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. And there, there it goes. <laughs> Once it goes, don't you feel better? I do. I still remember on our fifth wedding anniversary, Peggy and I, we celebrated in San Francisco at a restaurant called Tia Maria's. I had the Chili Rianos Deluxe. <laughs> I came down with the flu later that night. Have you ever had a chili riano pass through your nasal cavity? I, I couldn't eat them for weeks, months. I think it was three years. It's terrible. But oh, I felt so much better afterwards. So much better. What does God's word say? You get what's in here, out here. And what's going to happen? You feel better. You'll be comforted. You'll be comforted. We're not to stuff it and hold it in and stew over it. We're to get it out. We're to offer forgiveness. And then the last verse along this line, Ephesians 4, uh, uh, 32. There we read these words in Ephesians 4, 32, where it says, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. And remember what the Lord tells us in 1 John 1, 9, if we will confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us all unrighteousness. And we too need to be faithful in, in, in forgiving all unrighteousness, whatever people do to us. In fact, as Christians... Uh, uh, we are to be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Now, why do we need to be men and women of forgiveness and boys and girls of forgiveness? Uh, the first reason is simply because God tells us to be that way. In Colossians, and uh, uh, in Colossians... Uh, uh, we read these words in Colossians 3, uh, starting with verse 12. And I just got to find Colossians here. I still, as old as I am, go through the, the memory deal. You know, you have Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. You know how you remember that, right? God eats peaches and cream. 
Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. And you may not need little things like that, but I do, and they help me find my way around. And in Colossians chapter 3, looking at verses 12 through 13, it says this. It says, So as those have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also you should forgive. Well, he puts my sins behind his back. He chooses to remember them no more. He puts them in the depths of the ocean. God does all of this with my sin, and he says that I am to do that uh, to people who sin against me. Now, if we go back to uh, Matthew chapter 6, we will see the consequences of unforgiveness. And uh, uh, you may want to look at this in Matthew chapter 6. I just got to get there. And in Matthew chapter 6, beginning with verse 14, it says this. It says, For if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. Now, we know that uh, Jesus often taught with hyperbole, kind of exaggerating, and, and we can see where this fits into it. But, but I think that if we have been truly forgiven, and we have, the shed blood of Jesus Christ works, then down deep somewhere in us, we are really going to want to forgive others as well. In Romans chapter 12, beginning at verse 17, it shows us the actions that that, uh, reflect uh, uh, forgiveness. And... uh, um, I just got to get over to Romans here. And uh, I actually had that marked, and the marker, as sometimes happens, disappears. <clears throat> and whoever did that, I forgive you. Uh, <laughs> it was probably me. <laughs> but in Romans twelve seventeen, it says, Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing, you will heap uh, burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, Peggy and I have two daughters, and they're about three years apart. And when they became teenagers, it was not a pretty sight. They could wear one another's clothes, but they had their own rooms, and and they had invisible lines at the front of the rooms, and you were not allowed to step over that line if, if you were a sister of the other. So one day I sat the girls down, and I read them this verse. The oldest daughter's name is Melissa. The youngest daughter's name is Michelle. And so something would happen, and they would begin to argue, and all of a sudden Michelle would stop, 
And she would simply say, Melissa, I heap coals of burning fire upon your head. (laughs) Now, they missed the whole point. (laughs) It's not that you're trying to burn the person up that you've sinned against. (laughs) It's that the Lord wants us to have a Christ-like attitude and to love that person, to do good to that person, to show that person what Jesus looks like. You know, as we look at all of these actions, we see a result of, of an unforgiving spirit. And the first result is simply if we, if we don't forgive, it's, it's bitterness. And bitterness can creep in and, and do all kinds of harm and, and, and damage. And it talks about this in, in Hebrews chapter 14. And in Hebrews 14, uh, we read these words, and, and actually it's not Hebrews 14 because there's only 13 chapters in Hebrews. Uh, and uh, and uh, I'm not finding the chapter. The verses are 14 and 15. But uh, uh, what it is is uh, uh, I think it's chapter 12 where it says, Pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness spring up and cause trouble, and by it many are defiled. You see, lack of forgiveness leads to bitterness. I'm going to tell you a personal story, and then we'll kind of bring this to an end. Uh, I had a wonderful father-in-law. Uh, and uh, uh, he uh, invested in my life, and he invested in the life of my wife, of course, and, and raised her up so that he could give her away to me. And, uh, and he was a, a pastor. That's how I came to know him and met his daughter. And, uh, and uh, Bob uh, pastored the same church for about 23 years in El Cajon, California, an alliance church. And that's how I came to know the Christian Missionary Alliance. And he did a good job of pastoring that church and caring for that flock. And uh, then one day, after 23 years, uh, his head elder went on vacation. And, and uh, Bob's youngest daughter, Peggy's uh, sister, Joy, who uh, uh, was dating at that point in time, it turned out that the boyfriend of the elder's uh, daughter, uh, while they were on vacation, asked uh, Joy out on a date, and uh, she didn't think much about it. She went out on the date, and it was a Christian date. And then when the head elder got home, uh, he got very upset that the pastor's daughter had been out on a date with his daughter's boyfriend. And he laid down an ultimatum. He said, either you leave or I leave, and I will take as many people as I can with me. Well, the district superintendent came down, pray for Pastor Rob, because this is the kind of stuff district superintendents get to do. (laughs) And he listened to both stories, and he came to my wife's father, and he said, "Uh, you're in the right here. You've done nothing wrong, but this is going to bring great harm and division to the church. He said, "Uh, it would be good for the church if you'd be willing to walk away. And Peggy's dad did that. And he walked away. 
and God provided. And he walked away in a good way, and he honored Christ in that, but inside he, he, did, not, he did not let go of the injustice done. He kept it inside, and bitterness began to grow, and out of that bitterness there was anger, and there was vengeance. Well, not really vengeance. There was just bitterness. And we watched, and it was a hard thing to watch, we watched it steal his health. And he ultimately had a stroke. And after that stroke, there were only three words that he could say with clarity. And they were this, terrible, terrible, terrible. Now, ultimately, they moved back uh, in his afflicted condition to... El Cajon, California, and uh, I handed it to my father-in-law. He got things right with this individual, and they once again became good friends, and they went on trips together. And the end of the story is a good story, but when we, when we withhold our forgiveness, when we let it set in there and percolate and, and ferment, it, uh, it develops a root of bitterness, which for the sake of time, leads to anger, vengeance, clamor, slander, and malice. So, what are we to do? One last verse, Ephesians 4.32, and it has this to say. It says, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. What did Joseph do to his brothers? that did him great harm. He said, you might have meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. I will take care of you. I will take care of your children. You have nothing to fear. I forgive you. And so we're going to close this morning with prayer. And again, if there are elders and wives present, you'd like to come forward. If there's anybody that needs to pray, if there's anybody who needs to give something to the Lord, if... uh, if you've suffered injustices and, and you haven't been able to let go of it, we, we want to break that bondage this morning. That we can be free in the person of Jesus Christ. And we can show kindness and grace and love to others just as Jesus has shown it to us. Amen? Let's pray. Our most gracious Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for each person that is here, and I thank you for your word that speaks to our hearts. It's not my word, it's your word, which is living and quick and able to divide between soul and spirit and bone and marrow. And Lord, I I just pray that uh, if any of us are holding on to something today that, uh, that, that we should let go of, that this would be the day that 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 chain is broken and, and, and we let go of it and we're free in you. And we know the comfort of your grace and your peace that you want to pour into our lives. So, Lord, help us to let go. Help us to forgive. And, Lord, if the accounts are all good, then I, I pray for strength in the future that, that when injustice comes, we'll be able to forgive just as you have forgiven us. And we'll thank you for that. 
Lord, help us to be able to take this message of reconciliation and grace and, and forgiveness out into the world this week. And Lord, help it not just to be words that we hear, but Lord, help it to be scripture that we walk by as we live the life of Christ. And we'll just thank you and praise you, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you.